Hello and welcome to the Hub Systems Podcast, the voice of man's model moments, the blog of the various ramblings on the modelling and gaming antics of my son and I. My name is Alex Mann, and with me is my son, Oscar. Hello. Also joining us as guest for the week is our occasional guest host, Fred, of the Firestorm Focus Group. Hello. So, what have you been up to the last couple of weeks then, Oscar? Well, the summer holiday is still going on, so I'd like to say I've been productive, but I really haven't. I've done some summer work, actually. Uh, so you've been as getting I'm, work sorted. As I'm going into A-level, uh, sixth form, sorry, uh, in uh, September. So, you now doing some work in that. I haven't really done much on the gaming front. Spending time on my computer, mostly. <laughs> That's what I can so really you've say. been gaming, but it's all been video gaming, isn't yeah, it? yeah. You've been playing... Uh, well, the, big, the game that we're playing most is uh, Overwatch, which is Blizzard's new, very, very popular game. It's very, very good. Okie dokie. How about you, Fred? What have you been up to for the past few weeks? It's been pretty busy. Uh, we've got a new player in the area who I played some. Uh, I played against them. They're, they're learning their directorate fleet and uh, did some work for the Firestorm Focus Group, testing some new stuff out. Uh, I busted out some cheap-ass games from the 90s. It was uh, James Ernstold's company. Played some Get Out this week. And uh, let's see, uh, we've got our our club's annual hardcore game day coming up. So that's a big event for our local group. And uh, then I've also been doing some uh, non-gaming-related cosplay project I started last week. So Really? I'm yep. intrigued. <laughs> I'm doing a uh, uh, Hellboy and the... Uh, Bureau of Paranormal Research, so... Oh, oh, nice. Excellent, excellent. We watched that film not uh, quite recently. Yeah, yeah, we did. So yeah, I'm doing a nice little uh, BPRD tactical rig setup, so... Good. Okay, well, we played also a little code names with the, the whole family, didn't we? Which is a, a really nice little party game. I don't know if you've played that, Fred. I've not. No, it's, it's a new purchase on our side. It was, um, I think it was the D6 generation covered it, and costs, I think it's like, $15 or something. It's really, really good. Uh, it's good for a group of people. It's so. interesting when you've got a 10-year-old girl doing the um, <laughs> the clues. He's a spy master, yeah, <laughs> to do some of the clues. It, it's a very simple premise, but it, it's a lot of fun uh, and uh, very easy to pick up. So we played a couple, well, quite a few games of that, didn't we? Yeah. We watched 10 Cloverfield Lane and Ant-Man for a second time. And I've forgotten how good Ant-Man is, actually. It's really good. It was, uh, it was much funnier than I remember it being. We also started watching Series 2 of Dark Matter. Oh. It's funny, because actually, last week, I started watching Series 1 of Dark Matter. Oh, really? <laughs> oh, we won't I say just, anything, then. I'm, no, no. I'm, I'm about to fin- I'll finish the last episode tonight, probably. So. Ooh. Okay, okay. It definitely gets better. Yes. I think, you know, you need to give it a bit of time. I know some people say, oh, the writing's not so good, but it definitely gets better. They develop the characters a lot. I, 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 it's really good, actually. Yeah. It's, I think you guys are just, I think you guys have a much higher standard with your BBC television because <laughs> I think it's good. So right off the bat, so. I don't know. We get a lot of pretty high quality US shows as well, like The Walking Dead. We so. did start watching, uh, this TV show, show called Contagion. Mm. Oh, Containment. Contain? No, it's Contagion. Is it Contagion. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We watched. We watched the first episode. We neither of us episodes. said anything, did we? No. And the second one, it was just like, should we just give it this episode and see if it's any good? Because at the moment it's a bit crap, isn't it? And we didn't make it through the the second one. <laughs> no, but it was just like, yeah, forced acting, just like not good. Yeah, yeah. Not not surprised. <laughs> so, not done any gaming to speak of. Uh, we have spoken about getting a game of Strange Aeons in. 
which means we'll probably link it into several, because when we play, we usually play about seven. Yeah, we probably, <laughs> probably will. Uh, I've managed to get a whole bunch of Firestorm and Planetfall minis primed and sprayed. Because uh, I've got my airbrushing compressor set up in the brick shed now, which is which is good. I've also magnetized. I don't know if you've have you got the uh, Return of the Overseers box set, Fred? No, I didn't. Uh, my friends, uh, to my my directorate and my Aquan players picked it up and they split it. So I've seen the pieces, but I didn't get one myself. Okay, so that has really cool scenario piece in it. This dimensional gate that the Overseers. Yes. Yeah, it's it, it's pretty swank. <laughs> it, it, it's it's pretty nice, but has one drawback, and that is it doesn't have any sort of positive fitting together. It kind of just goes together. You can place the pieces on the board, which is great because you know you can build it up in the course of a scenario or whatever. Disadvantage is if you knock the table <laughs> or knock it with a bunch of ships, it just stuff, goes everywhere. And it's just like, oh, okay, right, could put it all back. So I created a little base for it and just magnetized it all so that it just all sticks down now and it's pretty resilient so that's what i spent my evening doing today yeah so just lots of uh primed a lot of models yeah got through a, got through a lot of stuff actually which is good because you know hol- holidays coming up so holidays coming up painting. so we can get lots of painting done now before we get into our main topic of course we have our traditional hit or miss yay and it's still a little slow with the summer but we do have several releases couple from Games Workshop, uh, the first of which we'll kind of put to one side because it's the Beast Claw Raiders for Age of Sigma. But I'm actually going to exclude these on the basis that actually they're just the old ogres from Fantasy and they're not new releases as far as I can see, so we'll, we'll just skip that one entirely. No, good um, Age of Sigma. 40k gives us Death Mask. Uh, which is yet another two-player box game. And going back to Age of Sigmar, we've also got some new basing kits, which I guess you could use for, for anything, right? Called Shattered Dominions. Uh, from Spartan, Halo Ground Command is, is shipping any day now. We're not quite sure when. Some people have got their kits, some people haven't. Uh, I think it depends where in the world you are and how much you throw on 2d6. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we'll do a full review on that in an upcoming episode, and even a, a special guest to talk about it. But we'll, we'll keep it under wraps until it happens. Uh, until then, we've an update on some Wave Nine ships and the Wave Ten releases, which have just been announced from Fantasy Flight Games for X-wing, and also a late pledge Kickstarter in Dark Souls: The Board Game. Let's kick off with the Shattered Dominions basing sets for Age of Sigmar. Now, these give us several, well, there's four main sort of sets, plus you also have a paint set and a scenery set, and also we have a Realm of Battleboard, but those are kind of not really very interesting, so we'll stick with the the actual sets. So basically these are, are three main basing sets, based on 25 and 32 millimeter round bases, 40 and 65 millimeter round bases, and 60 and 90 millimeter oval bases, basically progressively increasing size of bases. And then there's a base detail kit, which is all bits of stuff that you can, you can put on. So we'll take, we'll go for the middle one, the 40 and 65 millimeter round bases to, to start with, because the principle is the same, right? For all of these. Yeah. They're bases. <laughs> The 40mm and 65mm round bases, the £20, which I'm guessing is going to be around $30, you get 20 40mm round bases and 6 65mm round bases. So they're less than a pound each, these things. And you get eight pieces of rubble to stick on these uh, as you want. The website has some pictures. Obviously, they've all been painted up. What do we think? What's your 
What's your impression? I think it's good that they're actually doing uh, the whole kind of let's make some more um, detailed bases because it, it does add spark to models. It makes them look nicer. It brings them out, doesn't it? Yeah. I don't really know what else to say. I mean, that's their purpose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, conceptually, I quite like the idea. I was going to say, I, I also like the idea, but this is not... There's a lot There's a lot more of these out there that I think look better. I mean, even, even ones that are not made by Games Workshop that look more in line with other Games Workshop models. Yeah, I think that's my main problem with them as well, is, is that they are quite... It is just another kind amateurish. of... It's a kind of thing that Games Workshop is like realising that they need to do because they're in competition with other people who are making it, like you said, Fred, how other pe- other uh, companies are just making these to a better quality. Than... Yeah, well, I guess a specialist company can specialise in it. Whereas... Yeah, exactly. And they're sort of just sort of doing it because because they need to. See, I, I, there's part of it that's I'm surprised... Or I don't know, I guess I'm not surprised, but I I'm always... I'm always wondering at the fact that modern companies don't do more subcontracting when they do have specialists who are obviously catering to them. I mean, what would it have taken for them to talk to one of the companies that are making really nice miniatures and then just, hey, do you want to do an official Citadel line? Here's what the percentage we will want off the price to be, and then we'll run it through our store. Everyone makes money. Yeah, because you're right, because Games Workshop, they will sell their licensing of pretty much everything else. I mean, in terms of video games, they've sold the license to do every single aspect of basically everything. They yeah, there are loads of games. Um, and yet, you're right, with, with this, they haven't. I mean, the, the 60 and 90 millimeter oval bases, I really don't like the way they've, they've done them. The um, runes look really silly. Yeah, the runes are really big and, the, I don't know whether it's the way they painted them, but again, the, the sort of large base detail kit, you know, has these big chunks of, of rubble with, I don't know whether it's just an Age of Sigmar kind of aesthetic that I don't like. Uh, I don't know. To be fair, out of all of them, I think the shattered large base detail kit is, is the best because I like the way that you could make it like a ruined ground instead of just having this one kind of uh, flooring. I think that's just personal yeah. preference. And I guess you could add that to existing bases as well. Exactly. Of course, that does bring up the one problem I have with these specialized bases, and that's the fact that they, on the battlefield, they sometimes ruin the overall aesthetic because, I mean, they're nice for set pieces if that's what you're going to use them for, but if you're using them to just jazz up your army or make them look special, that just makes it look really weird when they're standing around somewhere that doesn't match their base. <laughs> yeah, like having... Uh... Space walls on snow bases in a desert. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or on a, a an airless moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's personal choice on whether you like themed bases or not. I mean, I'm just looking at the, the 25 and 32mm round bases now, and they're quite um, garish, I think, is one of the words. Yeah, I don't like this paint job on the shattered... Uh, the the Shattered Dominion one, the the red and green. But also it's kind of like, it's almost like they're trying to put too much, like every base is special. You know, some of the bases that I've liked, that I've bought in the past, actually, resin bases have been, you know, of rocks and woodland, you know, with some tree bits and stunts and, you know, quite generic looking. 
but they enhance because of that, rather than being some special rooms, and every single base is a special room. They've crammed everything they possibly could onto each one of these. Well, these look almost like they're part of a big jigsaw puzzle. I kind of wanted, I kind of wanted to find the (laughs) diorama that these all fit into, so, so that it looks right. Because you're right, I think the, I think the best designed bases uh, of the like resin bases are the ones that look complete in and of themselves. The ones that look like you're standing on tile or you're standing in a desert, but it's all nice and it's it's a nice sculpted desert base. Whereas like these, you're right, these look too much like they were stolen from some specific scene, and they, they you need to rebuild that scene if you want to use them, even if you did want to use them for a static art piece. Yeah, the large base detail kit. I mean, just looking at it now the close-ups and it is like you say it's like it's a big mural that's been broken up it's like an archaeologist's taking pictures of what they found (laughs) yeah (laughs) but i mean you've got this kind of figure wielding a i don't know is it a hammer or an axe it just looks i mean i know it's pictorial but i don't know whether i'd want that lining my bases (laughs) so I, I have to admire Games Workshop for the concept, but I just think the execution, they must have given it to, I don't know, a junior sculptor or something, and <laughs> not looked at what he was doing. The mushrooms and the stalactites are pretty cool. Yeah. Are they part of the kit? Well, I would presume so. There's, there's a picture of them. Ten large, yes, ten large mushrooms instead of stalagmite bits. See, now that's cool. But you wouldn't spend £20 just for those, would you? Well, you get the uh, the puzzle as well. Well, yeah, but you don't want the puzzle. I can see what they're trying to do. Yeah. Like you say, the execution is the poor part. Uh, you also have, you know, the, the shattered Dominion board for £200 and the Dominion scenery set for 415 which I'm just not even going to consider. And a paint set for £25, which, you know, again... How many sets, how many paints do you get in that? <laughs> it doesn't look to be many. I was going to say that's a... You uh, get a three. Three, from the looks of it. Oh. Well, there's a big thing of paint... Yeah, but who wants a big thing of that colour? Oh, it includes two 12mm pots of Carrick Stone, a 12mm pot of Screaming Skull, and a large 250mm pot of Mechanicus Standard Grey for £25. Or you could buy a spray can of grey primer <laughs> and just use your existing paints. Yeah. And spend £5. So, hit or miss, Bosco, what do you think? Uh, I think the idea was good, but they executed it very badly. They could have done it. They could have done it better. So it's going to be a miss. Fred? I'm going to say a miss. It was near the target, but it's a miss. Yeah, I'm also going to call miss because I think, you know, it's it's an interesting idea. Yeah, it's just bad. <laughs> <laughs> and I think the other, the add-on products are just ridiculous. So unfortunately, once again, Age of Sigmar gets a big thumbs down. So let's move on to 40k. And Death Mask, which is £95 for their latest two-player box set. Now, this doesn't seem to be really pretending to be a board game. It really is a two-player set. So you have a scenario booklet, you have a full copy of the rules, a small book copy, and then you get a bunch of models which, if you actually go and top them all up in terms of price, are considerably more expensive than if you buy the box set for and £95. That is surprising. Which is surprising for Games Workshop. So if you were looking at getting a, an Elder an Elder Harlequin Force and some Space Marines, this is the place to, to go. Cheaply, and I use cheaply as a subjective and relative term, this is the this is the set to go for, definitely. Death Mask basically gives you uh, Eldred Ulthran of the Elder with a bunch of Harlequins a couple of jet bikes and the 
whatever they're calling the Viper these days, against a captain, some space marines from Death Watch, and a Dreadnought. And under some thing about invading a moon, and the space marines got to stop him, obviously. Fred, what do you, what's your take on a two-player box set of this sort from Games Workshop? I'm always a fan of two-player box sets. I am surprised as big as the Warhammer 40k universe is that they always put space marines as one of the two factions. Uh, I understand that's because there's tons of Space Marine factions, but it would be interesting to see, like, a Tau versus Eldar or Orc versus Eldar. But everybody loves Space Marines. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Even fantasy players want Space Marines. That's right. Um, other than that, though, no, I, I, it's, got the, it's got the features that I like in a two-player box set. The, the fact that it is two, it looks like two relatively well-rounded forces, uh, sampling of different types of units, and the fact that as a price point, it is a way for you to... The pricing is sufficient that if you and your friends chip in together, it's a good deal for both of you. Yeah, I mean, it's got some nice elements to this set. You get a, a new plastic Eldred Ulthran. Uh, I'm not sure how many iterations of him there have been, but this is a nice one. It's quite dynamic. Unfortunately, he's standing on a rock, or at least a, a tablet of stone, probably with Eldar runes on it, if I looked. Funnily enough, on the website, there's a picture of him with his you know, very iconic staff and a sword. And then um, there's another one. But then one. if you do the next one really quickly, it looks like he's just throwing his sword away, because he's just... He's just got his outstretched hand. <laughs> Which looks cool by itself. But if you if you flip between the two, it is quite funny just to see him hold the sword, throw Drop it away. <laughs> but anyway, aside from my childish um, childish remarks on that, you know, I, I think there are two reasons why what I don't like in this because I agree that you know two player box set generally is a good thing. Yes, but a couple of things. One is that this is Death Watch, and we have just had a board game based on Death Watch. Mm. which included a bunch of Death Watch characters. And the other thing is, and the reason that for me this is kind of a miss, is it's Harlequins. <laughs> no one likes Harlequins. <laughs> Harlequins, the uh, the clowns of the 40k universe. Now, I'm sure there are people out there that do like Harlequins, and if this is a two-player box set for them, then that's a pretty niche audience. Um, so, yeah, I- I'm not sure quite who this is aimed at because I don't think in the past Harlequins have proved exceptionally popular. Yeah, I, I would have thought, that's why I would have thought equipping, like this would have been maybe a good one with Tau, something that is like relatively popular, has a, a growing base, and then at least you got a good chance of selling to them because there's not a box set with them anyways. Whereas Space Marines, like, who doesn't have Space Marines? There's so many places you get Space Marines. Yeah, and you know, this is, if I, if it was going to be an Eldar set why not have dire avengers you know or striking scorpions or you know one of the cool sets of aspect warriors and not the traveling space clowns it's just i'm just not quite sure i mean i've i've always liked the eldar aesthetic you know i like their vehicles i think they've got some of the coolest vehicles kind of like their background i like the way they've got these small factions but the harlequins were always the kind of sucky faction yeah Harlequins were the ones I, I bought because I felt I needed to for completeness sake because of some attention deficit disorder or <laughs> I think it's just like disorder or something. The Harlequins could have been portrayed very well actually. But it's like you did have to go down the opera clown route, didn't you, with the whole masks. <laughs> As with a lot of games workshop releases, I'm kind of split on this. Is anyone else worried about the length of the Space Marine Commander's sword? 
It's it's stubby. Hey, size doesn't matter. I think in this this case, size <laughs> matters. <laughs> it's, I think it's just the angle. It's it's longer <sighs> than it looks. If you look at, it, look at it the right angle, it looks longer if you look at it from behind. Shut up. <laughs> Uh, I think actually, Games Workshop are actually not doing themselves. They've done themselves a favour with the pricing on this, even though you know they're getting better. It's not just a sum total of models; they're trying. Yeah, and actually, I wasn't looking at the commander model. Then actually, he has got a short sword. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and for an army set, I have to admit these are pretty detailed. This is not a case of where there's like a ton of just reduplicated models that are all the same. Even no, I mean, I think if you if you're looking for Death Watch, I mean, there are some really nice models here. Interestingly, they do do a Death Watch upgrade set, and I'm not sure how much of this is replicated in there, but I know the the special weapons aren't. So, I mean, you've got kind of, what you've got there, a heavy bolter combined with a flamer. Some of these bolters look quite fancy. I think if you're if you've got a friend who you don't like, and you want to get him into the game, and he doesn't know what Harlequins are, and you want some space <laughs> it's the perfect setup. The Elder um, Captain's really nice. Uh, uh, the Elder Oak Throne model is is very nice, actually. It's quite dynamic, it's well painted, it's well executed. I quite like that as a painting model, you know. Yeah. As a centerpiece, that'd be quite good. I think actually the one without the um, his Wraithbone sword is actually quite good. I, I do like the way he looks like he's uh, Earthbender surfing, just with that tablet, just... <laughs> 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 yeah, actually, a bit of green stuff with a wave there, and <laughs> especially with the one where he's hand out. <laughs> you could model a bend in his knee. <laughs> uh, you know, Games Workshop are they're a funny beast, aren't they? Because they can do some really good stuff. You know, some things which make you think. Actually, you know, this this claim that they had. Previously, they make the best models in the world. You know, you can say that's kind of justified. But then some of their choices, some of their tactical and strategic choices, you just think... Because actually, you look at that... I'm just looking at this, the, the first picture now, which is the death mask box, the books you get, and all the models. And £95, it doesn't look a lot. If you know, if I'm not a Warhammer 40k player, and I come to that, and it's just like that's what I get for a hundred pounds. Yeah, I don't think anyone's going to pick this up for just the models. No, I mean, I mean, not. I mean, they they want the specific models, or they want to play Warhammer 40k. No one's picking this up just to do the, just because like I want some cheap troops to play with my whatever generic system I want to use Space Marines in. Yeah, which is funny because I, I did do some of the maths on adding these up, and it is, I mean, the Eldar Force alone comes to more than the £100. Um, that but, really sort uh, of outlines how bad it is. Well, I think exactly, that outlines really the tragic Games Workshop pricing policy rather than this is good value. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, hit or miss, I think it's a miss, and I think it's a miss for two reasons. One is... As a two-player box set, it's quite two quite niche forces, and it's a niche within a niche because Harlequins are a pretty slim niche within Eldar, who are a niche anyway in the 40k universe. So I think the choice of factions is is odd, you know. And Death Watch are odd for Space Marines, which you know probably one of the most popular factions. They've gone the splintered kind of down a. A little dead end on that one, I think. Because I think that was their main flaw with this. If they picked two factions, like we said earlier, it, it, it would be a lot more successful. 
Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that is one of the main things. And secondly, it's quite a high price point for a starting set if you're going to try and attract somebody into the, the hobby. And I think if you're trying to attract somebody into the hobby, you know, they've done two-player box sets in the past, which, you know, the Assault on Blackreach from God knows how long ago that was. You got a lot of stuff there. It looked like a lot of stuff for somebody coming to the hobby. And I think it was like £60 or something at the time. I'm going back a fair bit, but this was before they increased their prices by 30% in 2007 or when it was. That's how you attract people <laughs> but, to come and play your yeah, game. That had uh, appeal. And yes, the models weren't as exquisite as these. But, uh, you know, is that the place for a two-player box set? So I just think it's it's an odd place in a couple of ways. So for me, it's a miss for those reasons. Well, I'm just even comparing it to Dark Vengeance, which is by far like the most common two-player Warhammer 40k set I've ever, I saw. I mean, that, that set was everywhere for a long time, and it did not have a huge model count, but it at least did have some really impressive models in it, yeah. in addition to in addition to the models that were not... I mean, there were a couple that were, like, uniform, but then they had some nice models to sort of highlight it, So it, and that... I'm thinking that set was a little more expensive than this, but I for this much less money, um, I would still expect more models, even if it did mean some of them are more generic, but... Well, what was the uh, the recent 30K release they did, the Horus Heresy one? That, I guess, was a super bargain. Yeah, because you compare that with this, and, well, there isn't a comparison, is there? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, those were nice models, you got a lot of stuff, and for a similar price. So to follow it up with this, just, again, it's that sort of strategic decision which you just seem to think, what was, you know, I'd love to have been at the meeting where they decided... This is what we're going to do. <laughs> Brian, the cleaner, we've not had your ideas anymore. What do you think we should do? <laughs> it's all missed then, Fred. I'm going to say a miss. Uh, again, it's a, it's a near miss. There's so many chances they could have made this good, but they, they missed the mark. That's just it, isn't it? You've said that perfectly. Uh, Games Workshop, they always have the opportunities to do these great things, and they, they always just don't quite get it right. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's a miss. Okay, so unfortunately, once again, Games Workshop managed to get a clean sweep of misses from us for their releases. You know, you're trying, you're almost there, Games Workshop. Just a little bit more and we can get there. Actually, we had a hit last we time. We did have remember. some hits, yeah, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the goal, in the, to get an Olympic theme in here, in the gold medal tables, they're down at the bottom, aren't they? They've yes. Got, they've got a couple of bronzes. They do. Yeah, I think I think they're swimming with their mouths open. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not a good plan. They're like um, some some country, you know, have four people at the Olympic Games. <laughs> Unfortunately, they're not. It's like the USA turning up or China turning up at the Olympic Games and then winning two bronzes. <laughs> yeah. Just <laughs> anyway, let's move on to fantasy flight games before we got ourselves into any more political hot water. And there have been a couple of releases or a couple of announcements, I should say, from um, X Wing because they haven't really released them. Uh, one is on the Shadowcaster, who we did... I say who, that we did mention um, in a previous episode, but they kind of fleshed that out a little bit more. And then also the Wave 10 releases. So if we just have a look at the Shadowcaster once more. So this is a preview of the, the Shadowcaster expansion pack for X-Wing. Um, the Shadowcaster is quite a large ship, um, 
I said before, for me, the actual ship itself is it's more Star Trek than Star Wars to me. Uh, especially, I think, with the two nacelles, it almost looks like the USS Reliant disc with a little cockpit sh- stuck on the front, but then the two nacelles put on the side. I think you could repaint that white with some red fronts and a bit of blue engine glow, and that would fit right into the Star Trek universe. <laughs> so I don't kind of like the ship um, from that perspective. But if you have a little look at their rotating 360, it's nicely done. It's nicely painted. If you like it, you know, it's a good ship. It's a good, good model. And then they talk a little bit about some of the stuff. So this actually has a unique uh, feature. So this is a new thing that Fancy Flight are bringing out with, with this. And there's having a mobile arc rather than a turret weapon. So it'll be interesting to see what that brings to the, the X-Wing scene. Fred, do you play X-Wing at all? No, I've got, to, at Hardcore Game Day, we've got a player who's going to be, or we have a member who's planning on bringing it, so I'm hoping to get a game in then and try it. Well, hopefully Shadowcast hasn't been released then and he brings that and <laughs> tops everybody because <laughs> it's got a new, new mechanism that he understands. I mean, we've played a bit of bit of X-Wing. Yeah, it's um, fun. It's fun. It's, I think we've said before, a bit of a frothy game, I think, unless you're going to get really into the buying all the cards so you can get every oh, yeah. dirty trick in the book. I mean, the Shadowcaster looks to have some interesting things. It's got a tractor beam so you can drag people around so you can get rid of their firing arcs or smash them into asteroids and things, which seems a little bit like cheating to me. Yeah. <laughs> so I am kind of drawn to it. So <laughs> Even though I've said I don't like it now... Now I know you can cheat with it. It's quite good. What um, weapon are you using this turn? Oh, I'm going to use my cheat cannon. <laughs> <laughs> it seems we've got a little couple of pictures here, uh, Fancy Flight provided, which seems to see show the Shadowcaster farting between a couple of asteroids. I'm not quite sure what that's about. That's what I was going to say. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we've already said well, well, sort of our general thoughts on the Shadowcaster, but uh, I kind of wanted to bring this up because I think one of the things that Fantasy Flight does really well are these sorts of previews. And, you know, they've already announced this, you know, month or a couple of months ago. They've shown it. Now they're sort of going into more detail and also giving you examples of how you might use it, um, which I think is very commendable. You know, it kind of gets people thinking in advance of the, the release. Obviously, that can build a bit of expectation. People think, that's good, actually. I'm going to buy it. Like I said, now I know clever. I can cheat. I might get it. <laughs> Whereas before, I didn't want to. So I, I don't really want to do really hit or miss on this because we've kind of already covered the model, etc. But I just thought it was interesting to, to sort of see the way that Fancy Flight work. They do do it very well. They advertise their models very well. Well, and that's what's interesting is here's a single model that they've put this much effort into. They've got an entire page devoted to it not not just like a catalog page but an entire page devoted to using it how it looks multiple angles what you're going to look like in the store uh, they've even got that nice little uh picture at the top giving you sort of a sense of setting as they've got it in a hangar bay yeah it's just like it this is this is really good marketing for a single model and it's 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 mystifying that a two-player box set from citadel or from from games workshop could not merit this level of effort. I, I says it. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Fantasy Flight are, are really good at this sort of stuff. And if all the game systems that, that we love and know so well could do this for their systems, I think it would be tremendous. 
it would mean you'd pay a lot more attention to the game mechanics. Yeah. That, that, that the game mechanics would, would come to the forefront in terms of like what really sets these games apart if they had equivalent marketing. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's community building as well. I think is, is one of the things that Fantasy Flight do very well. Um, and this is part of it. You know, because it makes people feel engaged with the company, you know, gets that discussion going. So they have to be commended for this, you know. So I'll give them a hit for their marketing. There you go. Yes, I'll, I'll do that as well. <laughs> I, I was actually thinking that exact same thing, like, ten minutes ago. Like, if nothing else, they get a hit for this page alone. <laughs> okay, so let's now go to the, the next part, which is... I'll show you the dark side. Oh, uh, which is their announcement <laughs> for their... Wave 10. So this is, of course, a quote from Kylo Ren from The Force Awakens. And, no surprise, we have three ships loosely from <laughs> The Force Awakens. Because the one that I'm sure everybody will, will look at and really associate this release with is the Upsilon-class shuttle, which is Kylo Ren's personal shuttle. That is so cool. Which <laughs> is a very cool, very large uh, looking model. That's going to be quite ungainly on the battlefield, but I don't think anybody will care. You also have a captured TIE fighter and um, something called a quad jumper, which I must admit, I don't remember. I think, <laughs> isn't... I, I might be completely wrong, but isn't that the ship that they run towards that gets blown up before uh, they get inside yes. the Manelian Fold? Yes, I think you are correct. And in fact, if we scroll down, I think the pilot for this is the big fat dude who's uh, she tries to sell stuff to and he gives her a really bum deal and everything. Ah. Uh, Simon Pegg? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's low. <laughs> As a release, uh, I mean, I think this is pretty good. I mean, the shuttle alone is, is very cool. And as a dark side player myself, you know, it has instant want appeal. You know, I've got the Lambda shuttle in my sights and suddenly I see this and I think, no, actually, I'm going to go for that instead because it looks really good. No one's going to blame you for wanting Batman Space exactly. Shuttle. <laughs> and again, going back to the kind of marketing, what I really like is this. You know, these releases probably won't be around for, what, six months before Wave 10 comes out, something like that, knowing Fancy Flight. And yet here you see the model in all its glory on its stand. You've got the flight dial. You have all the cards associated with it, the pilots, the tokens. You know, it's all there. This is what you get for your whatever it'll be, $40 or whatever. You know, obviously no mention of price here because this is just a an announcement of a wave. It's a, it's a future indication of something that might happen. <laughs> and that's something I'd like to, I don't know, there's part of me that would love to archive Fantasy Flight pages to find out how often they 1984 their web pages. How many times they go back and edit what was in the picture because it's not actually going to be in the final release. Because there's a lot of material here. This is This is a pretty elaborate set of pictures Assuming they're still doing some type of testing, because I can't imagine you just have all this stuff ready, you're going to produce everything, you'd think there'd be some level of marketing or production or something that could be a hiccup that could change what the stuff looks like. So I wonder how often they have to go back and edit their photos for something that they premiered six months ahead of time. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's an interesting point, actually. And never having archived any of the pages, I don't know. <laughs> but And that's what they depend on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's knowing Fantasy Flight's sort of skill and finesse at doing marketing, it wouldn't surprise me if this has all been tested and locked down before it's announced. And they announce it pretty early on. Yeah, so you know, not having access to that kind of side of their, their company, difficult to say. But and There's a chance these are all mock-ups, so it's not like you can read those cards. 
No. There's a chance they're still planning on going in and editing in text and things like that, but... Yeah, yeah, exactly. Although you can actually, I mean, you can tell what these are. These It doesn't have a shield. You know, you can pick up these the stats on this thing if you really wanted to. I don't. <laughs> there we go. You can it even, is. You can even see Uncarbed. Oh. There we go. The guy. So you can see what his skill is. After executing a manoeuvre causes you to overlap an enemy ship, you may suffer one damage to perform one free action. I'm not sure if that's good or bad. Yeah, I'm just <laughs> thinking, I'm not sure I'd do that. <laughs> I mean, I, I do like the announcements that, that Fancy Flight put out. In terms of this release, hit or miss, yeah. I'm not sure because the Epsilon class shuttle I really like. And instantly I think, yeah, at some point I'll, I'll need to get that. <laughs> I think um, it's quite cool that they included the jumper, even though little uh, rebel ship, because his role in the film wasn't amazingly <laughs> long. <laughs> the quad jumper. But I've never seen that TIE fighter in my uh, life. No, exactly. Well, I assume it's the one It's the one Poe Dameron stole? I don't know. <laughs> Doesn't he crash that one? <laughs> yeah, no, this is a yeah. uh, Sabine's masterpiece. So the expansion is a unique title. So here we go. Uh, TIE fighter only, rebel only title. Your upgrade bar gains a couple of icons. So I think this is one that somebody's stolen and then she's painted it all up so it's kind of yellow and orange on the, the inside of the, the cabin. You know, a stolen advanced TIE or a stolen TIE fighter, it's kind of... Yeah. I'm sure it does happen somewhere in some book of the Expanded Universe or somewhere, but mm, it seems a bit of a... You are being very picky. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, the quad jumper, yeah, not really... Interested in. Basically, the, before I'd be able to say if this is a hit or miss, I'd need to know what the price point is. Because it's basically what you're paying for is Kylo Ren's shuttle and the other two are add-ons. Well, the, that's worthwhile. These will all be separate releases. Oh, okay. Then in that case, I'll go miss, hit, miss. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because generally these releases, the small ships are, what, $15, I think? Yeah. Because they're about £10, £11 here. I'll probably be going up now with Brexit. The big shuttle will probably be around, I'd say, $30, $35. And, yeah, this little ship again, about the same. Sort of 15 maybe, maybe a little more dollars. But I mean, I'll probably say miss for the TIE fighter. I just don't have an interest in it. Hit for the shuttle. Yeah, I'm prepared to go hit on the quad jumper because I'm sure some people like it. It's, it's a neat-looking little ship. I'm going to say... A miss for the TIE Fighter just because it is sort of just where has this come from kind of thing. Like I said, it's probably written somewhere, but it is. Eh. It's a paint job on a TIE Fighter. Exactly. <laughs> the shuttle is... It's not new, the, is it? Yeah. Nah. The shuttle is what everyone wants. It's fantastic, so it's going to be a hit. And I, I like I like the quad jumper, so I'm going to say a hit on that as well. Okay. I'd want that little ship. I'm the one who has interest. <laughs> <laughs> You just like it because it's sort of cute and sort of ugly. Okay, when you say cute, it ruins it. But... Cute, cute in an ugly way. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so there we go. We had a bit of a, a miss on the uh, the TIE Fighter, but overall hit on, on both of the other ships. So I think it's quite a nice release announcement, so we'll, we'll look forward to see when that actually comes out. Yes, Fantasy Flight Games always do, like we just said, a brilliant job of re- announcing the games. They've done it fantastically here as yeah. well. And if you can archive the, the pages now, Fred, and then we'll come back and look at them. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as we've seen with, you know, the full of surprises thing about Shadowcaster, you know, they do go into more detail at, uh, at later dates. So we'll see. Okay. Well, let's uh, storm ahead with our final hit or miss. And this is a, 
a slightly odd one because it's a Kickstarter I completely missed. Um, and I only saw it because of some random Facebook post or post on a games page or something. And this is the Dark Souls, the board game. And basically the, the landing page for this missed the Kickstarter. There's still time. Um, you know, we still want more money out of uh, people. <laughs> Click below to purchase an £80 late backer Souls pledge. So I don't know if you know, do you know the Dark Souls universe? Yeah, I've watched a couple friends play while at a party, so it's uh, it's it, it's it seems interesting. I've I've not I've not played myself. So we've seen some of the models, I believe. Uh, I have not looked. Oh, I've think... watched gameplay videos, and I know that it is horribly biased towards the AI side, and not yours. Right. Okay. <laughs> you die a lot. Okay. So this Kickstarter, which has now finished, but obviously can come with a late pledge still. Um, and one of the reasons I wanted to get this here is if people haven't heard of this, this is pretty good value from my point of view if you're interested in this kind of thing. Either, you know, if you're a big board game player or you're into sort of this fantasy it's because sort of models dark are fantasy very stuff. Nice. Because the models are good and you get a hell of a lot. So £80 pledge. So now we're talking £15 less than the Death Mask two-player stuff that we just talked about a few minutes ago. You get the bosses uh, and there are three of them. Player characters, there are four of them. Mini-bosses, there are five of them. Uh, one of them doesn't look... The gargoyle doesn't look too small. Uh, grunts, you get, what, two, five, six, seven, eight, nineteen, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen of them. And then you get the game with all the cards and the boards and dice and tokens and all that kind of stuff. So that's the, the board game as it, as it was in the Kickstarter. However, you also get all the unlock stretch goals. And that includes a whole bunch more player characters, a whole bunch more of... Some horrors and lancers and a couple of the guys, one called the Pursuer. <laughs> Sounds interesting. You get a bunch of gravestones and treasure chests and barrels. Then you get some sword knights, some knight captains, some bow knights, some crystal lizards, some mimics, some ironclad soldiers, a smelter demon. You get an armor set expansion with, what, ten sets of armor. An invaders expansion with uh, about the same ten things. Summoned expansion with two, four, six, eight nine summoned things, and the Solaire of Astora, whatever that is. So you get a crap ton of stuff you do. for your £80. I know absolutely nothing, I must say, <laughs> about the game, apart from, I believe it is a cooperative game. Yes, you can play with others, like in a team. Yeah. Because I've watched a video of a team of five people play, and what they have is they all have this armor, which is actually damaging when touched to an enemy. And what they do is they uh, they actually kill the main boss by just doing barrel rolls against him, <laughs> or something like that. Okay. So, Fred, are you familiar with with Dark Souls? Uh, in terms of gameplay, there's part of me that I'm sort of surprised that this is the route they took with it. I'm I'm sort of scrolling through the Kickstarter myself, trying to get an idea of gameplay. Um. It's, it seems interesting. There's part of me that it's... I don't know. There's part of me that seems like this is a marketing scheme to get the miniatures out. Because the gameplay itself, I don't... It doesn't seem like it's that conducive to using the miniatures. The board doesn't look very expansive. It doesn't look like there's a lot of like terrain features to it. You've got individual play cards, which looks like that's where you position people. So it's one of those Kickstarters that I understand that you can now do all this cool stuff to release your miniatures, but... Unless unless the gameplay is good and they decided to add on the miniatures, it's, I don't 
my understanding of game mechanics, I'm not seeing where the miniatures are adding value to the mechanics of the game and vice versa. That the mechanics of the game are calling on this quality of miniatures, which you could look at it as that's a way to sell it to two different markets. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I've got a bit here which talks about gameplay. It says, featuring a fast setup, long reveal mechanic, which says absolutely nothing about the game at all. The game gets you into the action faster and builds the locations out as you explore. Setup is minimal, mainly just building a couple of decks of cards and laying the first tile down. So it sounds like it's a progressive game that you kind of add the tiles as you're exploring. Yeah, but it looks like that. But it looks like the tiles are set, and that you just change the features of the tile with these cards. Okay, because it looks like the tiles are all standardized for the most part. So the standard way to play is you choose the main boss you want to take on, and select a mini boss from those you have available. So it talks about the game with. Um, we're not really talking about the game. Mm-hmm. Now, there is a gameplay video, but um, I haven't got to that, and obviously we don't want to go through that on the cast. But, I mean, they re- they raised a lot of money <laughs> for this. It's a very popular uh, game, though, so I suppose a lot of people will be, like, uh, very eager. It's a popular... It's a pop- Well, and the miniatures look nice. I'm sure there are people who are buying this game who uh, are hoping the game is good, but will be completely satisfied if all they do is get these miniatures... I was just about to go on to how, like, the, those models are absolutely uh, perfect for pretty much any kind of fantasy, yeah. weird, yeah. you know, kind of horror game. Well, that that demon they just had, what, £3.6 million they raised. Over £3.6 million. So, you know, the late pledge was obviously not needed. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, that, that, that demon they had, what is it, the... He's a mini-boss, he's not even a main boss. Uh, he's some sort of demon. I don't think so, sir. But he's sort of coming up out of the floor. He's really cool. I really like him. Uh, and, and full disclosure here, I did back this today. <laughs> oh, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so, I, I did see it, I went through the stuff, and I thought it's worth 80, 80 of my pounds. Which I did, I must say, basically on the strength of the minis. Seeing as, as you've pointed out, Fred, I know nothing about the gameplay at all. Now, see, the one thing that bothers me about the minis, though, is I'm looking at the the, the game setup where they've got the, the whole board laid out with miniatures on it and dice, and I'm trying to figure out what size miniatures they are. They're, they're nice miniatures, but I'm not sure that they'd, like, fit into, like, a D&D campaign alongside other miniatures. The bosses will, because they're going to be oversized monsters who are weird, but I'm just looking at the other miniatures compared to the size of the dice, and unless those are oversized dice, I'm guessing the miniatures are smaller than 28mm. Yeah, they may be like 20mm. Yeah. Which would make them the same as like Arcane Legions, which you can use those fine in, in an RPG, but, and if you just like the miniatures, and you don't, and you just want to use the, and you just want to have the miniatures, again, there's nothing wrong with that either, but as far as interchangeability with other games, I'm not sure it's going to be that easy. Yeah, I mean, we'd probably use the, the big bosses as strange aeons. I was going to say the same thing. Because that would be fine. With and the to be fair, I mean, who doesn't like to sort of just spend a bit of time painting up a really nice mini? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there is there is that aspect of it. And I am a sucker for you know, throw a whole load of. I, I'm a gamer, so <laughs> <laughs> throw a whole load of stuff in my face and say, "Look, this could be yours for only." And, and it's like, and it's a cool aspect. Yeah. You know, it's and demons. It's late pledge. This is your last chance. Okay, I'll buy. I'll buy. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I'm not really sure if this is a hit or a miss. I mean, although I put my money into this, is it a hit or a miss? I don't really know because I don't know enough about it. <laughs> Which sounds ridiculous now, it's, reciting it back. It's going to be hard to... I've been there, Alex. 
<laughs> it's funny because this was a game, and they are making it into a board game, which can it could be difficult. They could kind of they have to be taking a different approach in it, surely. Well, I guess we'll, we'll, find, we'll out. find out exactly. But it's like Halo. I mean, if if the uh, yeah, if the uh, ground combat so game is was faithful to the actual game, then the human player would only need to bring Master Chief because anything the Covenant throws at them would just be easy. Well, yeah, but how many times do you die in a game? Apparently, Dark... Oh, in Dark Souls, you die a lot. No, I'm talking about in Halo. <laughs> oh, you die a lot in Halo You die well. a lot. So, you know, without the benefit of the, the restart, maybe Halo Ground Combat is an accurate reflection of what really would happen. Yeah. So... We'll see uh, again, what, they, maybe this what is. they do. Just so we'll find up. out about whether the, the late Pledge of Dark Souls was in fact um, a thing we should have done, and it was a hit, or I've wasted my money, and it was a miss. I um, think it, you have to gotta, you got to give it a hit for the, the minis. Well, we don't know yet, do we? Yeah, no, no, yeah, we, don't no, no. we don't know. You've taken a stab in the dark here. <laughs> so we shall see. You may have paid $28 for... Seven really awesome miniatures and a bunch of very small miniatures you won't have much use for. <laughs> <laughs> this is true. Or you may have bought a really great board game that's fun regardless of the miniatures. So, Indeed. We will uh, come back to Dark Souls um, when we actually get it, whenever that will be. Because with Kickstarter, you can never really tell. The one thing that I am kind of slightly encouraged by um, is that it is by Steamforged Games. Now... Steamforged Games are the creators of Guild Ball, which I've not played, but I've heard very good things about in terms of its balance and what a good game it is in terms of the overall sort of package. So that is vaguely encouraging to me. Although this is, I did just check out, it is the creator's first Kickstarter. Yeah, so let's hope they get it right. Well, exactly. <laughs> I'd say delays are going to be your biggest concern, but... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, looks, as I say, well this produced. isn't something that I was looking for, so, you know, if it's delayed, hey-ho. <laughs> It'll be a nice surprise when it arrives. We've had a lot of delayed. We're waiting on quite say, a few steps. We're, yeah, we're, when we come back from holiday, we should have two Lots Kickstarters of games. We've got the Others, Seven Sins, and Cthulhu Wars. For Strange Aeons, how did you not get the Dark Root Basin expansion set? Oh, I've not seen that. that is, That's probably why. That looks just <laughs> that just looks fraught with strange aeons fodder. It's got a mushroom parent and child. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't get him started. <laughs> yeah, probably best if I don't. Okay, look. okay. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to say it. Ignore everything I said. <laughs> now, on to the main topic, which brings us back to where we all started, uh, which is Firestorm Armada, and the first of our Tactica series. Now, typically, you'd expect us to start off with the Terrans or the Dindrenzi, but we thought we'd buck the trend, mix it up a little, and talk about the currently one of the most maligned core races, the Cerulians. Now, Cerulians, despite being towards the top of the community warlock, they do have the lowest average battle log score of any of the core races. Interestingly, that's only a couple of percentage points different from the directorate so they're at 4.32 average battle log whereas the directorate at 4.49 which statistically over the number of games that have actually been played on those is probably the same 
And the Directorate are considered one of the strongest races currently in Firestorm Armada. So before we get into reasons why Cerulean's are regarded as a bit of the, the unloved child of the Kirk Alliance, and what you can do to help the reptilian cause, let's turn to a dedicated Cerulean player and ask Fred, since he is that person, why he chose Cerulean's and how he's doing with them. So, Fred, why did you choose the, the lizards? Well, my first introduction to Firestorm Armada was, we, we just did a quick three-way battle with uh, cruisers and frigates, and it was uh, Aquans, Terrans, and Dendrenzi. And so based on that sample of the mechanics, I asked the guy who brought the game which faction was the would have the, the most just, like, get in your face, be tough, and then just punch you when you're in close range. Um, and he suggested Ceruleans. So I checked out the models, and I thought the models looked great. So... Um, Based on that, I, I started playing them, and I found that they, they fit my sort of tactical preferences even better than I'd hoped. Um, they don't necessarily live up to their propaganda being super resilient on individual ship-to-ship basis, but overall, I, I did like their emphasis on strategy over tactics for their fleet, um, and, and I do like the way they play in terms of the, they're pretty straightforward in terms of like what their capabilities are, and it takes a little bit of skill to... I enjoy the level of skill it takes to bring those things to the fore in terms of playability so that they are not the constant losers people believe they are. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so if we talk a little bit about, you know, you mentioned a couple of things there about the Ceruleans being that kind of tough, get in your face and then wreck it kind of faction. What makes them, what gives them that kind of flavor? Well, uh, they are they are resilient as as squads, especially. Uh, basically, they have some higher numbers. Uh, they don't have the they don't have really high defenses compared to other factions necessarily. They're, they're on the they're on the positive side. Um, they don't they don't stand out. But with their larger squadron sizes, they have enough speed that they can get in there. And the fact that their weapons are usually broadsides and a fixed four weapon means that if you can get them into position, they will often dish out a lot of hurt all at once. Um, so that if you can get close, then it's a lot of, it's sometimes hard to get away from them. Um, there, you're usually still in their optimal range band of two while they're within your range band one. So they've got sort of a sweet spot where they're too close to you for you to be able to use your weapons as effectively as you'd like, but their scatter weapons, because they do have shorter range bands, that, that means that they can keep you in their sweet spot a little bit longer. Okay. And you mentioned scatter weapons. So for those of, those players who aren't familiar with them. So scatter weapons uh, are hit on a four, five, or six always. That, that's just how it, it's set up. So um, so as a result, they're really good against difficult target, elusive target. Uh, they're good about shooting out of clouds. So things that are using the die mechanic to try to hide instead of things like cloak, they're, they're pretty effective against. Um, and by doing that, that, that gives them... Another advantage, like in terms of, like I said, their 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 emphasis on strategy over tactics. The fact that that means that they can eliminate some smaller squads, which removes options for the other players, and it's also a nice way to manipulate battle log. So, so given that, then why do people think that they are so weak? I think it's because they have to take so many hits on their way up the field. Positioning is important, and and I think, uh, and like I said, playing for strategy is important with them. So the fact that if if your mindset for this game is that you're going to go towards each other, position yourself, you're going to exchange shots the entire way, and then you're going to eliminate your opponent, 
Ceruleans aren't going to play well for you. You, you, you're, you're, a lot of times you're going to be shunting in, which, uh, means you're starting, you're, you're gambling right off the bet, off the, right out of the start, because you're hoping that your ships are going to show up. Um, sometimes you're gonna, your admiral may be one of the ones that you hold in reserve. Often, and in order to win the game, or at least to make it a draw, that means what you're doing is you're using fold space escapes to lock the score in, instead of leaving your ships out to potentially be destroyed. And a lot of people don't like doing full space escape. So if if they're insisting on playing Cerulean's the way they would play other fleets, Cerulean's don't don't play well for them. Cerulean's have a specific play style that works for them. Admittedly, that that currently uses brings them draws instead of losses, but it doesn't bring them losses per se. And with skill uh, and practice, they can bring you wins. They're usually not uh, great big breakaway wins, but they are still wins. I think that's why their battle log standing is where it is, while at the same time, people do malign them and, and think of them as a, a difficult faction to play. So, and that fits quite well, actually, with the the fluff of the Cerulean's, doesn't it? Because the Cerulean's are this, this sort of quite stoic, um, not not plodding race, because they're scientifically very advanced, and you know they came up with a lot of the, the innovation in the, the Firestorm universe, but they do like to cross all of the T's, dot all of the I's, check it, they check do. it again, <laughs> make sure it fits with their tradition, talk about it for 80 years or so, and then do it. <laughs> yeah, like I said, the fact that you can, if, if you want to win with Cerulean's, you start the game with focused on the battle log and you pay really close attention to it. Uh, the battle log is more important than the sh- individual ships you're blowing up. It's, Reduce squads, eliminate squads where possible. Always aim to manipulate the battle log. Don't don't get overly focused on the ships. Um, I think that'd be my number one advice to a new Cerulean player: is pay attention to the battle log more than on making sure you get something destroyed. So you're playing for the long game. Yeah, which I, and I like I said, I think that fits well with their fluff. So yeah, I can see them planning actually. This is a sort of species thing. We'll just you can yeah. We'll, we'll hibernate and outlive them. <laughs> wait till they go extinct <laughs> okay so in terms of individual not individual ships as such but individual types of ships and squadrons where are the where are the main strengths of, of the Cerulean's where do they lie? well the biggest strengths are, it's debated whether they're in their it's it's they're not in their tier ones there's some debate as whether it's in their tier twos their tier threes their tier threes are fast they've got powerful weapons when when they fire in mass so if you're into a fast game and you want maneuverability, then the strength is definitely in the Tier 3s. If you do want a little bit of resilience and you want some heavier firepower, then you're probably going to be under the question that Tier 2 is where their strength is. So depending on your play style, it's going to either be Tier 2 or Tier 3. Um, and like I said, then that's going to depend on, on your play style. Because they, like I said, Ceruleans, there is a level of how you apply them is vital to whether or not you're going to win that game. Yeah. So if you want maneuverability, tier three. If you want some more firepower, focus on your tier twos. And I guess currently in in Firestorm, the I suppose the overall, if there is such a thing as a global meta, is tier threes aren't that popular. I would I would propose generally mm. people don't tend to take a yep. an excess of tier threes. You know, you often yep. see you know minimum requirements. Yep. Um, maybe even you know minimum requirements of two squadrons, and then they'll play a tap card to merge them. There's no. Whereas with Cerulean's, I will usually play the maximum number of tier threes that I can afford, and then I finish out my tier three or tier twos, and then uh, my tier one is what I 
what what do I still have? What what do I have to buy? That's that's my <laughs> that's my oh that's right. I have to have a, I have to have a place for my admiral. So <laughs> that's why I, I, Cerulean. That's why another Cerulean tactic where you don't start the game with your admiral on the field. That's it's usually not a big deal. I'm just used to playing without him because often he can be eliminated early, um, or I will have him shunt out uh, early just to avoid loss of battle log from the admiral. Even though that means playing without him for later turns in the game. That's not necessarily a huge loss because the, I would argue the tier twos and tier threes can do well without an admiral. So you're kind of then banking on well, firstly the civilians have the lowest fleet tactics bonus of of any fleet, equal with the directorate is one. Yep. And also you're if you're looking at not bringing your admiral on and then maybe shunting that early, you're kind of not relying on tack cards either. Nope. Nope. Not not a strong reliance on tack cards. The tack cards that I usually bring are. Tack cards that are extremely situational in the first place, uh, which means that if I do activate them, someone is not enjoying that turn. <laughs> but if uh, there's plenty, of, there's plenty of games where I've never even used a tack card, where my tack cards just do not come into play at all. Which is, I would say, fairly unusual. Mm, tack cards are quite a big part of people's games. Yeah, no, I I, I face people's tack cards all the time. <laughs> <laughs> So, to be a civilian player, a true civilian player, do you have to be slightly masochistic? <laughs> Is that what you're telling us, Fred? You, you, to be to be a civilian player, you have to not be afraid of getting punched in the face, and maybe that is maybe that is one of my strengths from from real life. So, <laughs> taking taking you 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 have to be comfortable taking hits. You can't you can't be you can't be wanting to flip the table or suffer from gamer rage just because you are you are taking hits before you get to hit back. You have you have to stomach that and. Uh, if you can do that, then you have the, the calm of mind to turn the table. Uh, if you don't, then Cerulean's are not going to please you because you're you're going to get upset too early. You you have to take those initial hits. So they're kind of the almost exact opposite to the Dindrenzi, who are the early game. They want to get the big hits in early. They want to keep at range. Yes. Wreck, wreck you so that what's left when they actually get into that knife fighting range isn't worth fighting. Right. Yep, no, they, exa- they are the exact opposite of And that's why seeing the Dindrenzi in that first game, that was why I asked about it. I was like, okay, so what's a close-up faction that can take some hits before it goes in? So, yeah, Dindrenzi are one of the reasons I knew I wanted to play a fleet opposite them, because Dindrenzi tactics do not did not appeal to me as a person. Okay, so given the the main strengths that are around Tier 2s and Tier 3s, what are the, the highlight squadrons then out of those those tiers for you? Well, actually, the patrol fleet has some of the best ships for Cerulean. My my second, my first and second purchases for Cerulean's were patrol fleet boxes, just because I wanted more of those frigates, those Reaper or Scythe frigates, depending on which edition you have, and those Falcatas or Skyhammers, because again, they're just great ships. Um, and the nice thing about them is the way they upgrade to their heavy cruisers. The their Cerulean cruisers and heavy cruisers are, I, I think, they're some of the best integrated for having mixed squads, because um, you can take the Falcata and you can increase its speed if it's just pure Falcatas, or you can increase their shield and then add in a heavy cruiser, and then they've got a little bit of resilience, uh, even though they don't have the speed they did before. So the cruisers are, despite not having a lot of bells and whistles, they're very versatile, depending on your gameplay. Um, they are maneuverable, they are relatively fast, and like I said, they throw out a good amount of dice in two arcs and a respectable amount in the third. So Yeah, and I would agree with you on the the squad size thing, because when I face civilians, and you've played civilians before, haven't you? Uh, only once or twice. Yeah. But 
when I face them, the first thing I always do is target sky hammers as I've as I've met them. And yes, I, I have not had a chance to use the yeah because cruises. the difficulty is in a group of four, those things are throwing out a hellish amount of dice, and if they get to you in in a squadron of four, even if they're getting if they're carrying damage, it still doesn't matter. So you need my tactics against civilians are always you focus down individual ships in squadrons to take the effectiveness of the squadron down so that you don't have to worry about it too much when it gets close to you because four ship squadrons are evil and it's the same with the aquans you know with your yeah. cruisers and heavy cruisers it's just it makes it so much more difficult than if you've got a squadron of three or two yeah, even though you're even though you end up paying for that in activations usually, because I'm usually out activated by often two or one or two whole extra squads on the other side. Um, the squads, the larger squads, usually still pay out, especially if you're shunting in. Because uh, one thing about having limited targets is if you it, it, it draws the fire, which since Firestorm does require positioning to fire means that their ships all have to point towards it. So then if you flank, if you shunt in additional ships, all of their ships are pointed in the same direction. So it's that much easier to flank them because they're, they're firing on limited targets. Otherwise they just think they're wasting turns. So that's another, it's another aspect of Cerulean's. I like the fact that there's definitely a, a mind game, a mental game to it uh, in terms of both drawing and attra- attracting fire because they feel they have to act, and then that opens them up for exploitation in, the, in their rear or on their flanks. So sometimes being sometimes being out activated is not a bad thing. Okay, I'm just making some notes here. <laughs> Future reference. <laughs> okay, and you mentioned the the sides. Oh, the sides are great. Uh, I always put pack hunter on them. I see people talk about not putting pack hunter on them or running them undersized, and no. If, if I have a force, the first thing I do is see how many sets of 125 I can make out of it. Because <laughs> now with Pack Hunter and their forward fixed, they dish out a hellish amount of damage. Because with five frigates, even at range band three, which is their extreme range, throwing out a single dice, with Pack Hunter that pushes it up to seven. So in Cerulean's, that's, I mean, that's, that's not, that's nothing, that's not a huge amount, but it's enough to at least make someone take notice. And that's before you factor in this fact that once you're in range band two on starboard port or the front, they're there. And they're a fast ship, so I've often been able to either fly them between up to three squadrons or sometimes just into the heart of a single squadron and open up double on both sides, um, which then will usually just decimate a squadron. And they've got enough AP that if you can get the whole squad of five in there, they can usually board a third ship or a fourth ship if it wasn't able to be sh- get shot on, shot at. So they are they are my favorite sh- ship to just fly into the middle of your squadron and then just shoot it from the inside out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and you mentioned boarding there. So the civilians are you know renowned as being tough, good boarders. Their ground forces in Planetfall are evil. So what's your view on boarding? Because the civilians aren't built as a boarding force in the way that, for instance, the directorate are. They don't have lots of tricks like biohazard and cyber warfare to sort of prep stuff. And they don't have a lot of SRS like the Walthosa do that can you know, be used in a similar way. So what, what, how do you view boarding from, from the civilian point of view? Well, basically, it's um, their, their boarding is, is – their AP is high enough that they're usually good at repelling borders. Uh, their squad sizes are large enough with the AP that if, like I said, and since they do fight up close, 
what I'll often do is if I'm close enough and I'm able to shoot at two or three ships in the squad, then I can launch my boarding assault at whichever one I couldn't shoot at. Um, occasionally I will choose not to shoot at one, but just so that I can do a boarding assault on it. But it's boarding assaults are definitely a thing of opportunity with Cerulean's. They're good enough that they can pull it off, but it's not a tactic you can rely on. But it is one of the ways that Cerulean's can turn a game, turn a game around. Um, and just like, and, and snatch it from defeat towards a draw or towards a minor victory. And boarding assaults have, have, are good for that. Uh, like I said, you can't, you can't build a boarding fleet with Cerulean's, but boarding is usually an option with any squad. So. Going back to tier twos, I hear a lot about bombards or warwolves. Um, what's your view on those? Cause they, they are, you know, they're the long range hitters of the Cerulean fleet really, aren't they? They are, and, and people I think are really attracted to them because they do work like a. They're they're just like a Dendrenzi. They 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 lack the traditional broadsides and port. The they, they lack the broadsides of other squads. Um, they hit hard. They don't turn necessarily well, but they are resilient. Um, they're a great ship for when I do have under activations for parking on the board early to attract fire. As ships get closer to them, and then that opens people up for the back. So they're a good, they're a good bait. Um, but they're also, they also are hard hitters between their torpedoes and their, and their fours. They will, uh, they will put some hurt on many a ship. So you're a big cruiser guy. So would you usually have war wolves or would you save, save them to a certain level? Or? I usually only bust out war wolves at, uh, grand fleet level. Really? Yes. Wow. I'm sure there's a lot of people saying to themselves, wherever they are, why leave them till that high? Because I would rather fill out my tier threes and tier twos. Because I would rather have two squadrons of Skyhammers and three squadrons of Reapers. And Bombards are expensive. Uh, Warwolves are just, they are an expensive squad to bring to the field. They're worth it if you can, if you can afford them. But there's times when just like, "Mm, I'd rather spend this on other points. So often I'll bust out bombards if I'm busting out a battle station to fill out a tier one slot, um, just because it's relatively inexpensive. It's also going to be anchored on the field. The bombard's going to be anchored on the field. I can anchor them at another extreme, um, just to try to split fire so that you can't overly focus. Or like I said, I could put them together in an attempt to draw fire because they look like easy targets and then open up so I can flank in instead of having to shunt. Okay. So you, you interestingly mentioned the battle station there. Uh-huh. I'm guessing a lot of people probably aren't thinking of a battle station as a tier one for civilians, but is that a, a normal choice for you? Or? It is. My, my, I will often bring a battle station, especially if I'm playing a scenario where uh, being able to leave isn't really going to be an option. <laughs> uh, battle station is basically a, an always take. I use it, it's, it's referred to locally as my carrier because it is the, it is the Cerulean ship that puts out the most SRS. So, so no, I will often, my, my most commonly used tier one is probably my battle station. Uh, if it's a large enough game, I'll bust out my dreadnoughts. Uh, I do have two bat, I do have two battleships which I have occasionally used, but no, more often if I need a second tier one, I will, the battle station will be one of those. It's, it's resilient enough that the game will usually end before it's destroyed. It's a nice ship. It's a good, it's a good ship. No mention of carrier there, other apart from the battle station, which doesn't count. <laughs> yeah, the Xyphos slash Mor- uh, or and Morningstar, they are 
actually using the gunships as a company's accompaniments for them to do some long range tactics. I've, I've done that occasionally to build a sort of long range fleet, um, just to mix it up for my opponents so they weren't super used to what I was going to be doing. So attaching gunships to the the carrier is is a fun thing to do. It does give you a little more range. It, it's it's a different way to play Cerulean's when you, like I said, just want to mix things up. Um, but as a carrier, it's e- even among carriers, it's not a, it's not necessarily a great choice. It's got its strengths, but uh, and it, it does have a lot of the traditional Mars um, of resilience, like experienced engineers and weapon shielding available to it, but. It's not a, it's not a, it's not a first choice. Like I said, with Ceruleans, you're definitely focused on your tier twos and your tier threes. In terms of the carrier as well, so if we kind of look at the relative weakness of the, the Ceruleans, it has to be said that SRS are not that abundant. No, no. <laughs> in Cerulean fleets. No, they are not. So how do you deal with that then? Do you just accept that or do you, you know, how do you deal with enemy SRS? Uh, usually, Cerulean point defense is usually pretty good. Um, and then when there is SRS available, it will often be taken as interceptors. So it's not, it's, enemy SRS are not insurmountable. And I've had many opponent throw SRS at me. And with the large squadron sizes, that means lots of different chances to shoot at them. Uh, good positioning is another defense against point defense or to fight against SRS. No, I, I've whittled away many an SRS token from six down to two. So then by the time it does hit with its two bombers, it's not a big deal anymore. Um, and I've completely destroyed tokens before on approach. Um, then that's just by, by using a good amount of screening, especially, especially because, uh, players will often use SRS to try to take out really large targets. Whereas the, I, I would say the better option would often be to whittle away the outside targets devastating them so then you don't have to fly through that point defense screen to get at what you really want to shoot at but yeah but since since people don't play that way i will use that to my advantage and put up plenty of point defense screens and ceruleans do have some additional ships especially with the planet fall they added some really nice point defense options for taking out srs uh the corvus if i'm going up against aquins uh I will I will often take the Corvus because it is just a nice way to deal with their SRS by just flying them around and slowly whittling down their tokens until they're nothing. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would work with Ralthosa as well, right? Yes. And Ralthosa, Ralthosa usually, they if they're sending ships out, then it's pretty easy to put up that point difference screen as I described it. Um, if, on the other hand, they're waiting until you're close enough, then at that point you're you're they're opened up to all sorts of additional attacks. So. Okay. So you mentioned the there's a planet for all the invasion ships there. Yes. What what are your your highlights from from the newer ships then from those from the uh, the recent reinforcement ships as well? Well, I like the Qatar because as a boarding assault ship, it does it is really good at that. Um, it, it does it is the by by throwing in the the Qatar the assault cruiser, you can build a pretty respectable boarding fleet. With Cerulean's, especially if you if you're doing a combined force with Cerulean's and their allies, the Vadrith, um, you, you can stack a whole lot of different types of assault cruisers, and you can do a, you can you can have a lot of fun boarding people's tier ones with that. So uh, the Corvus is nice because it does deal with SRS nicely. It has its own uh, it has a respectable amount of AP, still large squads, but the highlight I think is definitely the momentum. Their battle cruisers. Um, 
they are another inexpensive tier one option that for its cost punches well into its weight. Uh, it doesn't have the broadsides of a lot of the Cerulean ships, but they're still resilient. They have some really high shields compared to other Ceruleans. Um, and they are just a nice inexpensive tier one option when I'm trying to round out that fleet while I'm maximizing my tier twos and threes. Yeah, to me, the momentum is, is kind of, it's almost like a tier one light. It's, it's almost like a tier two of the tier ones. Yep. Which kind of, for me, as an opponent of Ceruleans, is not what I want to see. <laughs> I would rather see some, you know, a nice lumbering folks there for me to, to pick apart. What about the, well, speaking of battle cruisers, what about the Hasta? That, that's quite divisive among a lot of players. Yeah, the Hasta gets a, a lot of bad press, and I think that's just because of people not under, people just not appreciating its role. Because like, like a lot of the Cerulean ships, it's not played like other ships. Uh, you, you, you have a set of two of them, or you, and I usually don't split and have a single one. I, I will usually fly both of them, uh, and then you fly them. People will usually focus on one of them, um, which allows me to then shunt out the other one, depriving them of a bunch of tier one battle log, um, which is just not the way they expect that to go down. They, they expect tier ones to, to hang out, and so the hosta is a nice way to split fire, get... Uh, Get people to focus on more than one target, uh, and it's a it's a, it's a relatively fast ship. It does have some SRS, so I will usually use interceptors for that to help give it a little more uh, screen against both torpedoes and SRS. It's a the Hosta is a good ship, and I used it a lot until the momentum came along, and and then the momentum took that spot in my heart. So, uh, and what about the reinforcement box ships, the Harvester, the Lucerne, and the um, Frechette? They, the Flechette is the Flechette along with the Qatar assault cruisers that is building the Cerulean assault fleet that no one expects. Uh, the uh, the uh, as far as the as far as the light cruiser, it's it's a handy ship. I like the the new light gunship because it is a way to have a more inexpensive version of the bombards. Like I said, the bombards are great, but they are so pricey that they end up locking out so many other options, uh, especially options that are some strong Cerulean options. Uh, so no, I like having that new inexpensive gunship. Uh, it, it comes in nicely, and again, since it does have the kinetic weapon and the pack hunter on it. Um, it gets a little bit of range, um, and at the same time, it, it, it deals out more firepower than you sort of expect. So you, you, if you, unless you focus on it, and then if you focus on it, then that means I can again approach from a different angle, especially if you have reduced, if I have reduced activations, and so you have to commit more things to it unless you're willing to just give up those activations. And since you have to move unless you're at full stop, it's really hard to just give up those activations. But. It's it's a nice one. The Lucerne itself is is a good medium capital ship. I I'm not necessarily great about using agile. We play with a lot of terrain and we maneuver around it. I don't usually jump through turns with it, but I will up its movement and use it as a way to quickly get places. And again, with Pack Hunter, it deals out more damage than you expect initially, so it's good. But the Flechette, like I said, the Flechette plus the Planetfall Assault Cruiser. That that is a nice backbone to an assault fleet for Cerulean's. Give us your your kind of go to standard patrol fleet level fleet for Cerulean's then, and the kind of tactics around around using that. 
Well, it, it's, like I said, it does. They, they do require some finesse against who they're against. So my backbone is going to generally be, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to start from the bottom. I'm going to start with full squads of, a full squad of frigates, uh, usually reapers. And then I'm going to go with sky hammers. Um, sometimes if I've got points for it, I'll go with destroyer. Depending on the mission, I will use a, a Fox and a Mentum or a Battle Station. If I'm going against Dendrinzi, I the, the conventional wisdom is to go up the flanks and try to shoot them in the middle. But because I do have good broadsides, I'll actually try to come up two columns closer to the middle uh, to both attract forces, if there is anything in the middle, or to divide forces. And then with Dendrinzi, uh, you cross paths as you get closer to them. So then your range band two is able to take out both ships. And at the same time, you can cross over towards their rear arcs. And often, if you're lucky, they'll end up pointing at each other. So uh, against Directorate, it's usually good to assume that they're going to be bringing a lot of boarding. Uh, or if not, they're going to do cyber warfare. So that's where I'll take advantage of experienced engineers or just load up on extra AP. Um, even if I don't get a chance to board their ships, then the higher AP helps defend against their boarding attempts. Yeah, And then uh, just focusing on the small ships with the directive is usually a good idea, uh, which is something Cerulean's are good at. So you take out their small ships, and often directorate ships, I find, they're a little bit over-specialized. So if you can eliminate a squadron, then a lot of times they don't have something to execute the overall plan for their fleet. So focusing on smaller ships and eliminating them, because usually the larger the ship in the directorate fleet, the more focused it is on its particular task. Okay, that's definitely a good insight for future. <laughs> we want to make directorate more generalized. Yeah, okay. <laughs> that's fine. If you do that, then they're more easy to defend against. So it works out well. <laughs> I'd actually say, and it's, it's, I, I think it's a good matchup that Relthosa are the sort of like default enemy for Cerulean's because they are actually probably the most vexing of all the, the Zinian League fleets to fight. Um, because both fleets are short range, so it's not like you. I can try to exploit that. Uh, they're going to have the same optimal range bands that I do. Uh, their matrix, their their shunt matrices, make it so that positioning is really hard to do. So even if I can optimize that shot, it's hard to hold it for very long. And the fact that both of them have really good assault points that sort of negates each other out. Um, the point defense is good versus their SRS, but they have a lot of it, so as they wear things down, it doesn't work out well. And that that's it's it's also interesting that the I think it's really well designed that the Rothosa's natural ally is the Bakash, because they're almost the mirror image of the Cerulean's as far as the Zinians play. Uh again, they get up close, they take hits on the approach. If anything, uh there are certain aspects of the Bakash that are definitely enviable. Uh, of the Cerulean's, the Cerulean's, I, I think, could benefit from playing very similar. I, I think Bakash are the most natural Zenian fleet for me to play, other than Cerulean's, based on just Cerulean experience, and vice versa with when I've had Bakash players try out Cerulean fleets. So yeah, it's it's funny actually because uh, I mean I started Firestorm back in version one with Relthosa. You know, I went straight into the most difficult fleet possible. Uh, and as such, I've never really found them difficult because <laughs> that's what I learned on, right? And the Bakash, but so timing cloaking, you know, making sure you don't just drop your cloak and then leave it there. Uh-huh. Because you're horribly exposed when, uh, when you have your cloak down. Things don't tend to last long. 
unclothed and rather those feet. So, you know, you're right in that kind of, it, it's the kind of mirror because fighting Cerulean's, you know, Cerulean's are fast, Rothos tend not to be, so you do, are relying on other methods of getting around, like, say, Shunt Matrix. Mm-hmm. You get to get in close, and you know when you drop your cloak, the timing has to be absolutely right, because otherwise you're going to get torn to pieces. <laughs> for well, again, for Rothosa, that works well the same way it does for Cerulean's, where if you get into that optimal band, because it's so short, that usually means you're actually too close for your enemy to be super effective, but, like I said, Cerulean versus Rothosa, yeah. they're both negating that advantage. Yeah, exactly. So. And you can't even try it with your small ships because Ceruleans negate that with their scatter weapons. So, you know, if your small ships go in, they're going to get shredded as well. So it, it is quite an interesting matchup. And I say, Oscar, fortunately, Oscar doesn't play Ceruleans much. Uh, <laughs> and when he has, I've focused, it, focused them down pretty ruthlessly so he doesn't play them much more. <laughs> Yeah, I think actually that's that's one when people say they're interested in Cerulean's, I say, hey, play with my Cerulean's first. <laughs> just just try the models out because it is definitely a fleet that if you do not if if you don't mesh with their natural tactics, they are not very satisfying. Um, but I do try I do try to point out like here's here's how they can be played, here's how they can be played well. Um, and like I said, I I enjoy playing them a lot. So okay, so. We talked about their strengths, some of the, the tactics that you use. What are the what are the weaknesses of the Cerulean fleet and how do you how do you cover for those? Well, I think one of their weaknesses is the complexity of play. Uh, the fact that despite the fact they don't have a lot of whistles and bells, they don't have a lot of special weapons or, or, or weird shield systems or cloaking or anything like that. But that does mean that positioning is really important. Because uh, they're not they're not ridiculously overpowered. It, it's not like they are just like. And then I will walk up and I will punch you in the face. There's, there has to be some finesse to it. So so that complexity of game, despite the fact that they look like they're very straightforward, um, I think that's sort of a weakness. You can sort of get into that with just play and practice, uh, playing a variety of different games. I think the fact that our group really emphasized playing what we the, the popper fleet with 390 points, where everything has to be bare bones. Um, with Cerulean's, that still allows you to play a lot of different types of fleets. Um, so at 390 points, you can play with some destroyers and a carrier, and that gives you a chance to really try out the different types of ships. So I think by doing that, that let me explore the Cerulean fleet as sort of a safe space, because the other the other opponent is also struggling with that that really low point value. Um, so it's it's a it's a it's a good way to get that learning curve in and really master the Cerulean fleet, I think, is by playing some of those low-point games where you get to try out your different ships uh, in different types of scenarios. Uh, their strategic strength can also be their weakness, specifically the fact that they have those larger squads are the fewer activations. Um, but again, if, if you can learn to use that, if you can learn to just, like, make your opponent choose his opponents, uh, use the fact that there are limited targets for them to sort of channel their fire, uh, the fact that they have to move as a way to to open up flanks for you to get into, um, so that, that's that's how you sort of change that. That that fewer activations, learn how to use that to position your opponent, um, and then resilience over firepower. Um, that can take some getting used to. It, like I said, you you can't you can't expect to not take hits the first two turns or to be able to hurt your opponent in the first two turns because that's not your your strong game. Your Cerulean strong game is the later game. So that that weakness is definitely that being able to tolerate those hits in the early turns of the game. 
a lot of times you can get disheartening to experience those crits until you have until you get used to the fact that you're experienced engineers. It's just it's just hole points. Yeah. And, and if you if you didn't if you didn't suffer if you didn't suffer that many hole points on the approach, two hole points is it's no real different than getting two direct two dr hits um, if you can eliminate that critical. So you need to be a bit zen when playing civilians, is what you're saying. <laughs> Yes, you do. You, you need to adopt the, the reptilian... The, the fact that their fleet tactics do reflect their fluff of being a zen, calm, patient, long-picture race. It, it's one of the things I appreciate about them as a fleet, too. Okay, okay. And conversely, what may be frustrating if you're coming into playing them and just thinking they're going to be... I can put them down, they're going to be resilient, and then I can start killing stuff straight away. Um, You're not going to get that. No, no. You have to, you, you have to, you have to, it's not that you're in, it's, it's not go in thinking you're invulnerable. It's go in confident you'll survive to the end. And survival may mean leaving. <laughs> Which is, again, something that isn't terribly common no. as a tactic. Nope. In, I think, most matters. False space escape is something of a, not a, a forgotten secret, but almost a dirty word. <laughs> yes. I think I've relayed the experience before of, when I was at uh, Warfare last year, and a player asked me, well, what do I do now? I'm like, you know, plus whatever battle log, and uh, I don't really know what to do. I was just like, just full space your entire fleet out, and then you've won. <laughs> Which, of course, being British, he didn't do, and he carried on playing, and I think it ended up as either a minor victory or a draw. So it's just like, well, <laughs> yeah, <no. laughs> if you're playing a tournament, this is about winning, <laughs> not about chivalry. But uh, yeah, interesting. Well, this is my family's military background. It's like, no, you when you're ahead, you leave. When yeah. you've accomplished your objectives, you you don't hang around anymore. Unless your objective is to hold the place, you go. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So fold space in, kick people, fold space out. <laughs> yes. Yep. It seems so simple. I don't know why people struggle with with it. So. <laughs> okay. Anything else that we we haven't covered in the other bits that you want to sort of pluck out of the the cerulean mindset? I, I I think those are some pretty. I, I would like to think those are good stepping stones for a new cerulean player or for a new firestorm armada player to keep in mind as they're choosing which force to play. Um, or even a, an older player who's trying to figure out just like something that might want to try with a, a bit more challenger that plays differently from the other existing fleets. Uh, no, I, I think those are pretty much the, the highlights of at least what I consider myself to be a relatively successful Cerulean player. So my last question on the actual sort of tactical side of things is, what do you do when you meet another Cerulean player? Oh, that doesn't happen. We're all we're all <laughs> communists. We all get along. So in your uh, communist war games, then what happens? <laughs> oh, that is an interesting. That, it's, that's an interesting. Idea. Uh, basically, I think if if you know it's going to happen, then I'd say that's one of your times you bust out the rarely used Cerulean long range attack. Uh, where you focus on destroyers and flechettes and uh, gunships and you and you bust out the carrier, um, or you go the other route and you bust out the flesh. Did I say flechettes before? I meant reavers. Uh, then yeah, otherwise you go with your assault option and you go with flechettes and guitars and Vader's assault cruisers and you you actually do bust out the the uh, the Falks for that because it is a pretty good boarding option in terms of tier ones. Um, so yeah, you, you, that's when, that's when you bust out your Cerulean specialty fleet, not knowing which specialty fleet your other Cerulean player is going to have. So yeah, hoping it's not the same one. 
<laughs> or if it is, that's going to be really, really interesting as you have those giant <laughs> clashes of boarding assaults. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so the the last bit, not tactics related, that I kind of wanted to cover is obviously there's been a little bit of discussion around the community about a rumored two player set coming up, and of course the two core races that we haven't seen a, a, a box set from are Cerulean and Relthosa. Given that that is most likely to be the next box set, what would you like to see in the Cerulean side of that? Well, I, I in terms of the set itself, the, one of the things I really like about the two previous two-player sets are how much the, the scenario books tell a nice story. So I'm really hoping that the scenarios in this set emphasize the isolationist defense strategy of the Ceruleans. Um, I'm hoping we have some scenarios that, that really cater to that, to, to illustrate why it is that the Relthosa have not just run roughshod over Cerulean space. Um, so I'm hoping there's some, some heavy defensive-oriented Ceruleans, which will actually probably work against them in some ways, because if there are scenarios that require them to stay and hold the field, that's not necessarily something Ceruleans are going to be good at. So even though there might be a case of mismatched uh, mismatched point values in some of those scenarios, it's not necessarily going to be in the Cerulean's favor if they have to actually hold the field to stop the, Cerule- the Rothos and Assault. Um, so I'm hoping, and that's what, in general, I'm hoping those scenarios really help illustrate the fact that Cerulean's are isolationists, that the closer you get to their home world, the tougher they're going to be. Uh, and that sort of leads into where I'm hoping if there are new ships that they also sort of represent that backbone of resilience and optimize systems. The, the fact that in the outer ring, it's more not necessarily experimental stuff, but not necessarily the best stuff because you keep the best stuff closest to home to defend with. Um, I've mentioned on the forums in, in just the open forums occasionally that I, I really like the idea that while other races are developing new tech to deal with this threat, Cerulean's are getting things out of the vault that they didn't want to use until they absolutely had to. <laughs> it's like, oh, well, I guess we have to break out the Doomsday Ray. <laughs> Fire up the Death Star. <laughs> we haven't had to use it in a thousand years. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I'm really hoping we'll, we'll see with that Cerulean box. Because the, the Cerulean's have such a, a, a potentially rich and different background from uh, the other races, which are just racing racing forward hastily uh, fighting their own evolution. And then you've got the Ceruleans. And I really like the idea that, no, no, they've been around a long time. They're going to be around a long time. None of this is new to them. <laughs> it's just, just a case of where it's like, okay, now it's worth the effort. <laughs> it's time like, to bust things out. Like, oh, you kids. <laughs> I didn't mind you playing kickball in the yard, but uh, you just, you just, you just nicked my paint on my car. So I'm getting out the shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) Excellent. Okay, well, thanks very much, Fred, for your insight into the Ceruleans. Hopefully that's proved useful for Ceruleans players out there. I I, I hope not. Or those who are facing Ceruleans, myself included. I hope not. And for those who are undecided. You know, people thinking of trying Firestorm out and weren't sure about the kind of choice of race. Either it's dissuaded you from choosing the Ceruleans, which... I think would be a good thing. Not only, not because I'm a Xenian player, but because I think starting off any game with the wrong choice is, is always a bad thing, right? Because you get a bad experience of the game, it can turn you off it, it can give you, you know, negative vibes, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Nope, I agree. I want I want people to play Ceruleans because they're going to enjoy Ceruleans. Otherwise, I want them to just try Ceruleans. Yeah. So, 
because Firestorm, Firestorm is a great game, but the fleets are unique enough that getting the right one is important. And I think, as you've you've alluded to, you know, all of the fleets as well, despite having you know their own flavor and builds that you can do, you can build them a lot of different ways. So you can play, like you said, boarding civilians. You can play the get-in-your-face-quickly civilians, the, the stoic ones, the long range. There's lots of different ways. So even if you know who you're facing, you don't know necessarily what you're facing. It's, al- it's always an aspect of the game that I've liked. Yeah, hopefully some people out there are thinking, actually that sounds just what uh, the kind of thing that I would, would like to play, uh, and we'll give civilians a go. I must say... The broadsword, the, the dreadnought, is one of my favourite models. Actually, Firestorm. It's such a. I mean, it also looks like a lightsaber. So, you, and yeah, if failing anything else, you can hit people with it. You know, yeah. it's a nice cudgel. Yeah. It works. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so thanks again, Fred, for your time. Yeah, thank you. That brings us to the end of the episode. So, signing off for the Hub Systems, it's Alex and Fred. Uh, good night. Thanks again. We'll see you next time. <laughs>